Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and as promised, we are getting into some science-based stuff today related to fat loss, related to energy, related to improving your body composition and your health in general. And I'm going into the topic today because I've shared on Instagram that I am currently participating in a voluntary clinical study that is looking at my microbiome as well as my response to different types of carbohydrates. And by my response, I mean my blood sugar response. That is going to help me understand which foods I am sensitive to, and which foods I am not sensitive to. And there's been a lot of questions coming in about this and how we can get this information, which we can, without participating in a clinical study. So I'm going to dive into this today. Before we get to that, let me just remind you that the wait list for the fall 2018 12 Weeks to Transformation group is now open. As I've shared a few times, because of where I'm at with my book, I'm not going to be working with new clients over the summer, but I will be working with veteran clients, folks who have been with me before, been with me through a 12-week group before. So I will be working with veteran clients over the summer, but I won't have a 12-week group for new folks over the summer, but you can get on the wait list for the fall right now. The cool thing about being on the wait list for the fall, I've gotten a lot of emails from folks that are like, oh, I wish you were doing something over the summer. I really want a little bit of structure, a little bit of motivation just to keep me accountable over the summer months where maybe I'm traveling a little bit more, indulging a little bit more. So it is true that I'm not taking rookie clients over the summer, but for folks that are on the wait list for the fall, I will have a special something for you this summer so that you're not flying solo, so that you can begin to create some progress and some momentum, but you've got to be on the wait list. So you can either go to the show notes page for today's episode, which is just primalpotential.com forward slash 489. 489 is today's episode number. So if you go to primalpotential.com forward slash 489, you can find the link to the waitlist right there. Or you can just go to primalpotential.com and hit the work with me tab in the upper right hand corner and get on the waitlist there. So that is the scoop for new folks. For folks that have been through a 12-week group before, either recently or in the distant past, I am working with veteran groups this summer, so just shoot me an email. We kick off on June 24th, and I will get you squared away. So today's episode, the science stuff. 
Let me give just a quick little overview of the study that I'm in right now because it's generated a lot of questions and confusion. And the reason that it even came up that people know is because on Instagram, in my Instagram stories, I share pictures of what I eat. And it's pretty consistent, right? It's my cabbage salad bowl. It's recently I posted a picture and put a recipe up on the blog, actually, for this lobster and avocado and jalapeno thing that I created. It's very much lots of non-starchy veggies, some fat, some protein. So I knew when all of a sudden there was a lot of carbohydrate, people were going to be like, wait, what? Especially new people following me. (laughs) Oh, no, she doesn't follow what she says. She doesn't practice what she preaches. But it's not that at all. So I am participating in this voluntary clinical study. I promise to give you guys more info about it once I'm done and I get my results. But for now, what I will say is this is a study looking at my microbiome, and it is doing that via stool sample. But a big part of the microbiome or a big role of the microbiome is carbohydrate metabolism. So different bacterial strains mean different carbohydrate tolerance, an ability or an inability to efficiently metabolize different carbohydrates. So this 14-day study diet, The goal is not fat loss, right? So for those of you following my Instagram stories, know that these meals are not intended to be fat loss meals. They are very high carbohydrates. The diet somewhere between 60 and 70% of my total intake coming from carbs, which is a dramatic departure from what I am used to. But again, it's 14 days. It's for the sake of learning. The goal is not fat loss. The goal is to see which carbohydrates I metabolize well which uh, carbohydrates I don't metabolize well. And it's looking at that based on a combination of my microbiome, the bacteria, viruses, fungi in my gut, and also my blood sugar. So I am wearing a continuous glucose monitor. I don't have the readout on it. They do. Uh, And I have specific meals that they provided to me that are very high carbohydrate. The question that came up is, what are you trying to learn and how can I learn this about myself without participating in a clinical study? And for a lot of people, too, how can I do this without eating 60% carbohydrates? I will tell you, I feel like crap. <laughs> I'm, it's not like they have me eating Doritos and Twinkies. It's gluten-free. It's dairy-free. But shifting from what was very low starch and sugar, high fiber, moderate protein, higher fat to very high carb, low fat, low protein. I'm foggy. I'm jittery. I'm super tired. I'm unfocused. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm really hungry. All of those things. So there is a simple way for us to leverage this power we have to control our blood sugar responses by the way that we eat. So there's two things primarily that I want to talk about in today's episode. And one is how we can go about minimizing the impact that our food has on our blood sugar levels. That's ultimately what I'm trying to be better able to do by participating in this study. 
Then I'm going to talk about how you can figure out some of this stuff for yourself without a blood sugar monitor or without a continuous blood sugar monitor, just by paying attention to how you feel, or for those of you that want to geek out on the science with finger pricks. But you do not have to do finger pricks. The first place I want to start is on how we can create that end goal that I'm working towards with this with this study by optimizing our food choices to minimize fluctuations of blood sugar. Every time we eat, we have an opportunity to keep our blood sugar stable. And when we don't, when we, through our food choices, what we eat, when we eat, how much we eat, when we create those blood sugar fluctuations, it's not just about impairing fat loss. It's also about really depleting your energy. It's also about triggering inflammation or quenching inflammation. It's also about how we sleep, our ability to focus, our mood stability or mood volatility, and just healthy body composition, right? Having less fat mass. We can very much minimize these blood sugar fluctuations. The data that I am looking to get from this study is going to help me be better able to do that. The other benefit that I will share with you from this is fewer cravings. The less fluctuation you have in your blood sugar, the fewer cravings you will have. A lot of people worry about their fasting blood sugar. They worry about why their blood sugar is high upon waking, or I get emails from people who are worried about something called dawn phenomenon, where instead of your blood sugar being lowest when you wake up, it's higher than, say, an hour or two hours later. But I don't want you to give your energy or your worry first to your fasting blood sugar levels. And again, everything I am talking about today can absolutely for sure be understood and evaluated without a blood sugar monitor, all right? So instead of worrying about what is my blood sugar when I wake up, is my morning blood sugar low or as low as it should be, where we can really create an impact is in what is called our postprandial blood sugar. So the blood sugar after a meal. And again, This can be figured out, this can be minimized and evaluated without a blood sugar monitor. But for those of you that want to geek out on the specifics, I will link to the one that I use in the show notes page for today's episode. We can't just look at foods and say, well, these are the ones that drive a big blood sugar response and these are the ones that don't. And so the essence of this is avoid things that increase your, that are standard across the board going to raise blood sugar. It is very individual. That is the opportunity we have to improve because most people just look at this from the perspective of it's all the same. Don't eat bread, but a banana is okay. Don't eat rice, but a sweet potato is okay. When the reality is, it could be the reverse for you, or both could be a problem. We all have variable tolerance to carbohydrates. So we can't just look at foods and say, these ones are good and these ones are bad. There is a concept called carbohydrate tolerance, and it varies for all of us. Some people are very carb sensitive. Others are very carb tolerant. And even within being, say, 
carb sensitive, there's going to be some carbohydrates that you are super sensitive to and others that you are much more tolerant of. And with folks who are very carb tolerant, there will be some carbohydrates to which they are very sensitive. Back in episode 316 of the podcast, I talked about a book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. And I'll link to that episode over in the show notes for today's episode. I wanted to begin by bringing up something that Rob Wolf shares in that book. He looks at specific examples of how different people respond to different carbohydrates very differently. Generally speaking, we would probably think that pure sugar, drinking sugar water, which I did this morning, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, not a good experience for me. (laughs) I'm still recovering from it. But we would generally think that pure sugar would have a more dramatic impact on blood sugar than bread, right? What's true is, in some people, the bread creates a more significant increase in blood sugar than pure sugar. Some people are going to have a greater blood sugar increase eating bread than if they were to drink sugar water. It's even true when we look at something like a banana and cookies. And Rob Wolf in his research looked at just this. Some people had a greater blood sugar increase after consuming a banana than after consuming cookies. This is why this kind of evaluation of ourselves subjectively, right? Objectively would be looking at, say, blood sugar, but subjectively, do I feel full? Do I feel energized? Do I feel hungry really quickly? Do I have cravings? What is my energy after I have this is going to really give us an indication of which foods we should be avoiding and which foods we should be choosing with this goal of minimal blood sugar movement. Minimal blood sugar movement. I'm actually going to jump ahead right now. I planned on bringing this up later. So bear with me while I jump around a little bit. One of the meals as part of this clinical study that I had to consume today, my first meal was 40 grams of sugar dissolved in water. And when I saw that on the study protocol, I was like, no, no. And I I woke up dreading it and dreading how I would feel all day and knowing I had to work and knowing I had to record a podcast. And as I said, I am wearing a continuous glucose monitor and the folks that are running this clinical study, they get the readouts, I don't. But I was super curious, so I happened to have a regular finger prick blood sugar monitor. So when I woke up, just out of curiosity, I took my fasting blood sugar. Then I drank this torture thing of 40 grams of sugar dissolved in water. Then I tested an hour later and two hours later, tested my blood sugar. I will tell you right now, I didn't have to test a thing to tell you what was happening. So before I tell you what the numbers were, I'll tell you what I experienced because we all experience these kinds of things or the opposite of them, and it is powerful and important data. So I drank it, and 30 to 40 minutes later, I felt a little bit jittery. Then another 30 or so minutes later, I crashed. 
right? I had a headache. I was hungry, really hungry. Not just I could eat, but I I feel a little nauseous, that kind of hunger. Not I'm going to throw up, but I need something on my stomach. And my heart was racing. I couldn't focus. And what that represents, that feeling of like, oh, yeah, I could clean the bathroom with a toothbrush on the floor to, whoa, I'm, I'm hot, I'm jittery, I want to take a nap, I'm super hungry. That combination of wired but tired, I'm sure so many of us can relate to that, where we're, we're a little jittery and anxious, but we also really feel the need to sleep. Wired but tired is the, is the way that, that I experience that. What that is, is this blood sugar roller coaster. When I tested my fasted blood sugar, so this was the first thing I drank when I woke up. Before I drank it, I pricked my finger. My fasting blood sugar was about 86, I think, 85 or 86. A little bit higher than normal for me, but this is day three of this study that's basically all carbohydrates, so not too surprised by that. Still, still a decent number. 86. An hour later, an hour after drinking this drink, it was 108. That is a huge jump in a small period of time. Now, granted, if I had a huge pile of Twinkies, it would have been a much more significant jump. But what I am saying is, compared to how I normally eat, if I had said, I'm going to have bacon and eggs for breakfast, I might have seen three or four points, if any, movement. So going from the mid-80s to over 100 in just an hour, you're going to feel that. Then at the two-hour mark, so I started at 85, 86, went up over 100. Then an hour after the first test, two hours after the drink, I was at 81. So if you imagine a line graph, it's, it's a spike and a drop-off. The drop-off going even lower than the baseline I started at which is why I had that jittery, anxious, heart-pumping, trouble-focusing feeling. And many of you are probably thinking, well, geez, I wouldn't drink 40, you know, 40 grams of sugar in the morning. But many of you that go to Starbucks and get your latte that's sweetened, you're doing just that. Or if you're having a bagel or a bowl of oats. But again, different carbohydrates yield a different response in every single one of us. So while I was looking at both the objective and the subjective, the objective being, how's my energy? How's my mood? How does my body feel? Am I hungry? As well as the objective, my fasting blood sugar, one hour after drinking it, two hours after drinking it, you can do it very much with just the subjective. How quickly does hunger return? How intensely does hunger return? How do I feel in my body? Am I focused Am I anxious? Am I jittery? Am I calm? Am I experiencing cravings? Is there an absence of cravings? Do I have a lot of energy? Do I want to put my head down on my desk and take a nap? Those are the things we are looking at. The goal when we eat, for those of us who are looking for energy, who are looking for mental clarity, who are looking for fat loss, is to minimize blood sugar fluctuations in every time you eat. 
These differences come from a lot of things. For some people, the difference comes from food intolerances. For example, if you are sensitive to gluten, you are going to have a greater response to gluten-containing carbohydrates than to most gluten-free carbohydrates. Here's where it gets really interesting and, and the big part of why I'm doing this study. Another big difference in carbohydrate tolerance and the carbohydrates that you are sensitive to and the ones you're more tolerant of is your microbiome because the bacteria in our gut are a huge part of carbohydrate metabolism. So dysbiosis or bacterial imbalances or having lots of one strain and not enough of another is going to impact our carbohydrate metabolism. I also share this to point out one of the reasons that I am not a fan of calorie and macro counting. Because when you count calories and when you count macros, a calorie is a calorie and a macro is a macro. Like carbs are carbs when it comes to your macros. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but there's a difference between eating whole foods and counting macros and eating processed foods. Absolutely. But even within whole foods, you can have a dramatically different hormonal response, metabolic response to oats, a whole food, than to a banana. You can have a dramatically different response even comparing, say, an apple to a banana or comparing quinoa to beans or white potato to sweet potato. So again, counting macros, counting calories, it's very black and white, which is why a lot of people like it. But it's also the downfall that it is so black and white because our bodies are not that direct. They are much more nuanced and those nuances matter. The way that Rob Wolf approaches this in Wired to Eat, and I talk about this more in episode 316, and if you're curious about it, I will link to the book in the show notes at primalpotential.com as well. But the way that he approaches this, testing this, whether you do it objectively and or subjectively, again, objectively being looking at your blood glucose response, subjectively be paying attention to things like hunger, mood, energy, focus, etc., cravings, and your, and your fat loss results, of course, is to have the carbohydrate you want to test in the morning first thing by itself. No salt, no butter, no other foods added to test your response. And I talk more about this in episode 316, so I'm not going to go into it in detail here, but I do think it's important to note that the reason I didn't say have this morning the 40 grams of sugar mixed in water and an avocado is because the avocado would obviously obscure my response to the glucose, right? So if you are thinking, how do I know which carbs I'm sensitive to? I want you to really pay attention to, and journaling is such an important way to do this, how hungry are you before your meal? Rated on a scale of one to five or one to 10. I think one to five can be a little bit easier only because a lot of people will stay in either like I'm a four or I'm a seven and they won't really go much beyond that. Like not really hungry, but also not super hungry. So I think a smaller scale can be more helpful. Looking at how hungry you are before you eat 
And then how hungry you are right after you eat, an hour later, two hours later. When does your hunger return? The other thing you want to look at is your energy. How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Are you super tired? Are you super full of energy somewhere in between? Really make note of that. Then pay attention to your energy level after you eat. Do you crash? Do you have a surge of energy? Do you feel like a chainsaw through butter? Are you just really hardly noticing anything, which is probably a sign of good, stable energy? What about mood swings? What about cravings? All of those kinds of things are the subjective assessment, as well as things like bloating or cramping or gas or diarrhea or finger stiffness. All of those things are going to help you understand what does my body respond well to and what does my body not respond well to. So the testing to see is a big part of it. But the other strategy, maybe you don't want to test carbohydrates because you're like, I know I do better without them. Perfect. Then what you want to look at are big picture strategies for minimizing blood sugar fluctuations. And there are a few really straightforward ways to do that, especially for folks who are just starting off with this stuff. One of them is avoid carbs in the morning. I've talked about this on so many episodes, but I'll summarize it quickly here. You want to avoid carbs in the morning, whether that is fruit, oats, grain, your bagel, potatoes, toast, Pop-Tart, muffin, sugary latte, because... We have an exaggerated response in the morning. And by exaggerated response, I'm referring to the blood sugar fluctuation and subsequent insulin deployment, insulin release. We have an exaggerated response in the morning. Many of you have heard me share this analogy before, but what I'm talking about is the equivalent of being in a dark room pitch black for 12 hours and then somebody comes in and turns on a floodlight. Your eyes would have an exaggerated reaction because you've been in the dark for 12 hours compared to the reaction they would have if you'd been outside all day long and somebody just turned on, turned on the floodlight there. You might not even hardly react at all. Metabolically, when we've been fasting overnight, when we've been sleeping overnight, Having carbohydrates in the morning is like turning on that floodlight after having been in a dark room for 12 hours or so. So one of the big strategies for minimizing blood sugar fluctuations is just being really protective of your body in the morning and avoiding the fruit, avoiding the oats, avoiding the grains. And and as I shared, I'm doing this clinical study, it's 60% or more Some of the days are 70% carbohydrate, which means every day I'm starting with carbs. And it's been years since I've eaten carbs in the morning. I am grumpy. I am tired. I'm having more trouble focusing. I'm much more hungry. I feel more lethargic in my workouts. It's very real. The flip side of that is when I'm working with clients, especially my 12-week clients, when they first start with me and early on in the first month of working together, we make this breakfast switch. Almost without exception, when they cut those morning carbs, even when they're coming from whole food sources like fruit, when they cut them out and they focus on fat and protein or non-starchy veggies that are really rich in fiber in the morning, they have more focus, more energy 
less hunger, fewer cravings, all of that kind of stuff. So avoiding carbs in the morning is a big strategy in the end goal of minimizing blood sugar fluctuations. If you think about your blood sugar as a flat line, we want to keep it as close to a flat line all day long. We want to avoid the things that peak and valley and peak and valley like I experienced just a couple hours ago with this glucose drink. Another strategy is making sure that you have some healthy fat source with your meals. That could be avocado. It could be coconut, whether that's coconut oil, whether it is um, you know, coconut oil when you're preparing your food, whether it is coconut flakes, whether it's coconut meat, whether it's coconut milk. I love, I get my coconut milk in a can from Thrive Market. And I love putting chicken thighs in the crock pot with some coconut milk and some lemongrass and some curry. Oh my gosh, it's so good. But make sure you have some healthy fat with your meals. Eggs, avocado, coconut, grass-fed butter or ghee, ghee being uh, butter with the milk fat removed, or even a fattier protein like chicken thighs instead of chicken breasts or salmon over a lean whitefish. What this does again with the end goal being of minimizing fluctuations from your baseline with blood sugar, adding fat is going to slow down your overall digestive process. So that when you do consume carbohydrates, whether they are coming from fiber or they are coming from um, potato and, and starch or fruit, they're gonna slow down the release of those carbohydrates into your bloodstream so you minimize that that jump, that fluctuation that we are trying to avoid. Another strategy, the first one being skipping carbs at breakfast. The second one being adding fat. The third is making sure you're incorporating protein. When you do something like have an apple as a snack, that's pure carbohydrate. So you're going to have a greater blood sugar fluctuation when you do that compared with if you had a couple of slices of chicken with that apple or if you had a handful of almonds, right, a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein with that apple. But you want to be careful when you're incorporating protein, you don't want to have too much. This is the other side of it because, as we've talked about before, there is no storage form for protein in the body. There is storage form for carbohydrate. There's storage form for fat, of course. But protein has to be broken down, converted to glucose, sugar. So over-consuming protein is one way that we create these blood sugar fluctuations. So you want to have a little bit, but not too much. Another strategy for keeping your blood sugar really steady Minimizing these jumps, these peaks or valleys from the baseline is incorporating fiber. And when we talk about fiber, a lot of people think oats or other carbohydrates that are starchier. And we can get fiber without starch. And when the goal is energy, focus, motivation, minimizing cravings, when the goal is fat loss, improving body composition, your best bet is to get the fiber without the starch. And the best ways to do that are going to be from your non-starchy veggies like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, etc. Veggies, veggies, veggies without the starch. And 
bonus points for if you can do some raw veggies at each meal because the enzymes in that are going to facilitate digestion. What this might look like in a given day, breakfast could be an omelet, couple of eggs, some of your favorite veggies, and a little avocado. Or if avocado isn't your thing or yours isn't ripe yet, isn't that frustrating? Bacon. That's just another option. Or throwing some leftover salmon. I love to do that with eggs if I have leftover from the night before. Keep in mind, though, that when fat loss is your goal, don't go overboard on fat. A lot of people will say, yeah, I have, you know, three eggs and some avocado and some bacon and a little cheese on there. And I'm like, eh, might be a little heavy handed on the fat. Remember that you can't give your body more fuel than it needs. Or if you do, the excess gets stored and your body doesn't have a need to burn your fat. It burns your fat when it needs fuel. And if you're giving your body more fuel than it needs, you're in trouble. Another option is my cabbage salad bowl. And a lot of people will look at this recipe, and I will link to it in the show notes, but they'll look at this recipe and say, you just broke your rule, Elizabeth, because it has a lot of fat in it. Let me say this caveat. When I have my cabbage salad bowl, that represents brunch or two meals. And so since I need it to satisfy me for two meals, and since I'm not eating three meals or three meals and two snacks, I can get away with having more fat. But if you're going to do three meals or you want a snack, then you've got to be really mindful of how much fat you're adding. So I will I will link to my cabbage salad bowl recipe over on the show notes for today's episode at primalpotential.com. But basically what it looks like is I take a whole bunch of raw shredded cabbage, usually red and green, and then using my OXO salad chopper, I'm not an affiliate, I just love the product, I'll add in bacon, egg, sometimes avocado, sometimes something spicy. I always like to have something spicy, so that can either be a jalapeno or it could be Primal Kitchen's chipotle lime mayo, which I love. I get that from Thrive Market as well. So that is an option. Just be mindful of how much fat you eat based on how much you're going to eat in a given day. Or if you skip the brunch idea and you want to have a traditional lunch, go for a big salad, tons of veggies, maybe some salmon. Uh, If you do a leaner protein like chicken breast or shrimp, then maybe you make a salad dressing with some olive oil and vinegar. But you see here that we're avoiding the starch and the sugar because the goal is minimize blood sugar fluctuations when your desire is fat loss, when your desire is improving your body composition, when your desire is really stable, strong energy. And then dinner, if you want to have some sweet potato fries, fantastic. Just have it be a side, right? Think small handful, quarter to a half a cup, very much an accessory, not the main crux of the meal. And make sure that you've got lots of non-starchy veggies, that you've got some protein, that you've got some fat. So maybe a salad with grilled chicken, maybe a burger without the bun and some avocado on there or some bacon on there. Or maybe you ditch the avocado and the bacon, but you have a fattier meat like um an 80-20 ground beef, uh, Thrive Market, their meat boxes, their ground beef is really, really tasty. And I'll throw some burgers on and then I'll have them in the fridge. And sometimes I'll do bunless burger or sometimes I'll crumble them up over a salad or I will throw them in with some eggs and do like a little bit of a stir fry. So good. Side note too, for dinner ideas, I don't know if you saw the recipe, I mentioned it earlier, that I put up on the blog 
just a couple of days ago of a lobster dish that I created. I said in the vlog that I don't always love to cook, especially in the summer, but I also don't always love to eat out because it's expensive. I like to do pseudo cooking or assembling. So I got a lobster roll without the bun from one of my favorite restaurants. They make it really, really, really light. It's basically just lobster. And I chopped the lobster up really fine with some avocado, some jalapeno, and one quarter of a mango. And so my serving was probably one eighth of a mango because I made the recipe for two. And it was just this great seafood salad, super light and very minimal impact on blood sugar because very small amount of fruit, but also with veggies, with protein, with fat. So check out that blog if you haven't seen it yet. And keep in mind that the things like that handful of goldfish, that is straight carbohydrate. What happens if you think about trying to keep your blood sugar as that straight, stable line, and you go and have a handful of goldfish, you've got that peak, and whenever there's a peak, there's a valley. Same thing with that sugary latte. Same thing with that solitary piece of fruit that you grab as a snack or that piece of chocolate that you think, no big deal. Sure, but when the goal is minimize that blood sugar fluctuation, keep that line as steady and stable as possible, then you might want to change your approach with those little bites here and there. Follow the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. This is one easy way to implement these ideas. I go through that in episode 195. Switch from processed carbohydrates like crackers to whole food carbohydrates, especially within the golden rules, like a sweet potato, like a piece of fruit. Don't have sugar as a snack. Don't drink your sugar. Switch from carbs with less fiber like watermelon, to carbs with more fiber, like broccoli. Here's a bonus tip. Ditch the dairy. A lot of people think dairy is a pass because it's not high carb, and you're absolutely right. But the issue from a blood sugar standpoint with dairy and why it's so tricky is not the sugar. It's the whey protein. And whey protein is insulinogenic, meaning that whey protein triggers an insulin release. Just like carbohydrates are different in everybody, the insulin effect of whey protein is going to be different from person to person. But for some people, they triple their insulin output when they consume dairy. So you don't have to test your insulin to know on this. Just cut out dairy and see if it works for you, right? And another thing is eat smaller portions. Eat smaller portions. That is absolutely going to be something that reduces the blood sugar response of the meal. Less of it. That is always a great starting point for folks. You don't have to do all of these things. Pick one and work at it. For those of you who want to geek out with a blood sugar monitor, pricking your finger, I will link to the one that I use, and I strongly recommend checking out Rob Wolf's book, Wired to Eat, because he gives a whole protocol in there for that. Specific carbs to test, you eat them first thing in the morning, nothing added. So if you're doing like, say, wheat bread, you're not adding butter to it, you're not adding jam to it, you're not having it with eggs. Or if you're testing white rice, you are having a bowl of plain white rice, no butter, no salt, nothing like that. Those are hyperpalatables, which make you eat more. 
So one approach is the Rob Wolf wired to eat style test. Another one is testing the things that you normally eat anyway. But I do think it's important to test those things first thing in the day because otherwise things like fatigue, things like stress, things like workout, things like what you ate previously are going to play into account. And, and I think that's a little bit biasing. So if I, for example, want to know how I respond to Greek yogurt, then what I would do is wake up, test my fasting blood sugar, eat my yogurt, be, be very aware of how much I ate because that's a factor, test my blood sugar an hour later and then two hours later. Rob Wolf recommends testing just two hours later, but a lot of that is for compliance and simplicity, like making people do just one finger prick instead of making them do several. The goal, what we're looking for, what we ideally want for those of you that are geeking out on actually pricking fingers, what we want to see is, and there are different perspectives on this. From Rob Wolf's perspective, you want your two-hour postprandial test to reflect your baseline, right? So you want your two-hour test to be under 90 milligrams per deciliter. And William da Dr. William Davis, who wrote Wheat Belly, which is another great book, he says, basically, you don't want to be over 100 milligrams per deciliter. So basically, if you want to be liberal with it, you want two hours later to be under uh, under 100 milligrams per deciliter. Here's the issue I have with those numbers. When I drank this um, sugar drink this morning, two hours later, I was well under 100, right? I was at 81 or something like that. Does that mean that I should be drinking this drink? No, that's why I think the subjective tests are so important because I felt like crap. I was jittery. I had that wired but tired, heart racing, but just mental fog, inability to focus. That's why, guys, some people really want to geek out on the numbers, but what matters most is how you feel because it created a hypoglycemic effect for me. Did my blood sugar come back down to baseline really quickly? Yeah, sure, it went below baseline. But don't let that confuse you and tell you that you're tolerant to it. Pay more attention to how you feel, which is why if I could give advice to anybody, it would be don't geek out on just the numbers. And if you think you might be at risk of that, don't even buy a blood sugar monitor. Don't even prick your finger because you're going to value that real hard data more than how you feel. And I think how you feel tells a much more important story. So I wanted to share that example of the, the glucose drink because if we look at the actual hard and fast data where they say it should return to baseline within two hours or it should be one, underneath 100 milligrams per deciliter within two hours postprandial, then that drink would have passed the test. Now, if we said it would be under 101 hour, then it would have failed the test, but it would have barely failed the test. This is why the subjective is way more important and why I don't want anybody to feel like, oh geez, I should really be pricking my finger. How you feel is going to tell a very, very real story. Pay more attention to that. Pay more attention to that. Remember this example, of drinking 40 grams of sugar water on an empty stomach upon waking, 
my blood sugar was lower two hours later than it was when I woke up. Does that mean that's okay? No. Why? Because I felt terrible. Because I felt terrible. And there are some bonus tips too for improving, improving your blood sugar response. One is sleep, 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 sleep. I've done a couple episodes on sleep and the reality is that if you are even moderately sleep deprived, it will impair your glucose tolerance, period. Get more sleep. Number two, vitamin D, get out in the sun, get out in the sun, expose your skin to sun if you can't. You can get an artificial light. I've talked about the Juve light. I did an episode all about light. I will link to that in the show notes. Or get a vitamin D supplement. D3, 5,000 international units minimum, and take it with fat. Do not take it on an empty stomach. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, so you want to make sure you're taking it with fat. And then remember to take care of your microbiome. I recently did an episode all about that. But remember that your bacteria play a huge role in your carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance. I know a lot of people might want to hit the grocery store after listening to this episode to make sure that they are equipped with the foods with the goal of minimize blood sugar fluctuations, eating whole food forms of fat, emphasizing non-starchy veggies, including protein, cutting out the starch and sugar in the morning especially, and minimizing the amount that you eat throughout the day. So I just wanted to really quickly go through my grocery staples in case this helps you. Though keep in mind, I eat the foods I love that love me back. You need to eat the foods that you love that love you back. My grocery shopping is super simple because when I go to the grocery store, I'm only buying veggies and every once in a while fruit, but I don't eat a lot of fruit. Because I get my non-perishables and I get my meats from Thrive Market, so they come directly to my house. One of the reasons I like that is because it means spending less at the grocery store, and it means less temptation. I don't go up and down the aisles. I'm not like, oh, I should get this. I should try. Nope, not happening. I'm in and out. My grocery store staples, avocado. I eat it almost every day. Brussels sprouts, I always buy them fresh, never frozen. Frozen are going to be mushy and gross. Cauliflower rice. Almost every store now has this in the freezer section. I almost always buy mine frozen. If I'm really dying for it and the grocery store is sold out, I'll get a whole head of cauliflower and and throw it in the food processor, but I don't like to do that because I don't like to clean up. Red and green cabbage, especially in the summer. Tomatoes. Love tomatoes. I love cilantro and basil and jalapeno. I put jalapeno in like everything, in my cauliflower rice, in that lobster dish that's up on the blog. I put it on everything. Everything else I get from Thrive Market. And the things that I get there very consistently, and every once in a while I'll do an impulse purchase to try something new and let you guys know what I think about it. Primal Kitchen Chipotle Lime Mayo. I hate mayo. I love that. Canned Salmon. I only use canned salmon for salmon cakes. I love salmon, and if I want a salmon filet, I get fresh salmon. But canned salmon for salmon cakes, I use the 21-day sugar detox recipe. I keep them in the freezer so they're really easy to reheat and eat. I also get the Himalayan sea salt, the rock salt that I talked about in the fasting episode and why that's so important. I get that from Thrive. Red pepper flakes, because I like things to be spicy. Uh, coconut oil in the in a jar, as well as artisanal coconut butter travel travel packets. 
Coconut butter and coconut oil are different. Coconut butter is a blend of the oils and the meat of the coconut, whereas coconut oil is just the extracted oil. I get those artisanic coconut butter travel packets, and I primarily use them when I'm traveling. I also get my ghee, which is butter with the milk fat removed. I get that from Thrive Market. It comes in a jar. I also get their meat box, and I get the combo one with meat and seafood. Their shrimp, I put up a recipe on the blog for an amazing spicy shrimp creole over cauliflower rice. They do a pork roast, which I never know how to cook roasts, but when I was in Indianapolis for the Master's Club weekend, my host and client and friend made this amazing crock pot recipe with the Thrive Market pork. It was amazing. It was like a shredded pork dish, and we had it uh, as part of like fajita bowls, burrito bowls, it was, it was like everybody's favorite thing. I'm going to try and get the recipe from her and put it up on the blog. So check the um, show notes for today's episode for that. So yeah, they, I get ground pork from them as well and ground beef. And I'll do stuffed peppers with that. So I'll take a bell pepper, cut off the top, fill it with a blend of either ground beef or ground pork. You could do ground chicken and cauliflower rice. And I get my non-perishable, non-food items from Thrive as well. So I use Myers brand dish soap and hand soap. I use Fatco skincare products, etc. So if that is helpful to you, if you want to give Thrive Market a try, use the URL thrivemarket.com forward slash primal potential to register because when you do, you save an extra 25% on that first order and you get free shipping on that first order and you get a free 30-day trial membership. Just give it a shot. So hopefully that gives you guys a good starting point for the initiative, minimize blood sugar fluctuations. This is great for your fat loss goals. It's great for your energy. It's great for your mood. It's great for your focus. And for those of you that are following me on Instagram and wondering what the hell are you eating and why, it's because for the next 14 days, or I guess the next 12 days, 11 days, something like that, I'm doing this clinical study. So Head over to the show notes for the links that I mentioned, including to get on the wait list for the fall 12 weeks to transformation. And remember that the people that are on that wait list are going to get a special offer for the summer because I'm not working with new clients over the summer, but we'll hit the ground running in the fall. And I'll be working with my veteran clients over the summer as well. I'm working on my book, trying to get that to you. Change your life. Hope you guys have a great day. Change your day by minimizing blood sugar fluctuations. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.